glint of something slightly dangerous or slightly unhinged in his eye. <laughs> you probably have to have that to face Dan Ronaldo, and he has done that, and he's got all the cards now. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. Now, Stuart Lancaster's time at Leinster has been successful by any measure. The seven years he spent here have seen Sexton play his best rugby and the Leinster brand become synonymous with attacking, free-flowing rugby. His fingerprints are also clearly on the Ireland setup as players step effortlessly up from the club side to the international team. He joined Joe Malloy in studio this week for a wide-ranging interview, touching on the support that he felt from his players and his colleagues when his dad died and also to the actual moment that he had to tell the players he was leaving at the end of the season. And that was always the biggest consideration for me. You know, can... Can I maintain the job so it doesn't completely consume my life? Um, to leave enough time for for Nina, you know, to come across to live in to live in Paris and to make her feel settled, and you know, then my son's in trying to um, develop his rugby career, Ealing in London. My daughter's up in um, Newcastle. My mum's eighty years old on a farm in Cumbria on her own. You know, it's so all these pieces of the jigsaw, and that's not even including like any mates. Or, or yes. things that you do, yes. who you know, brothers or sisters, you know, you've got all those things, and um, you know, you're trying to do your best for everyone who who's around you, family and friends, and they're super excited about the job. And I'm sat there thinking, geez, I'm going to France. Mm. I don't speak the language. Um, I'm going to a big club. There's 30 odd games a year, including Europe. Um, but but having weighed all that up, I still felt, and obviously, I had to have Nina's support. Yeah. Um, uh, that yeah, we can do this. We can do this. But I, I feel the worry is is that it, it, it'll, it'll be. And I, so, I, but I've I learned with England. I think more so than anything that um, because that was probably you know again the tipping point really in terms of like the divans um, to get good people around you. Number one, sure. And certainly to get people in the management and the management side of things that can take that stuff away, which means I can concentrate on the coaching. So, key priorities for me is you know if Laurent Tavares is going to become the president. Obviously, making sure he looks after recruitment and sure. everything else. I've got uh, hopefully a general manager that I'd like to bring in. There's already a team manager, you know. So surround myself with good people who can look after all that stuff, which means I'm back to eighty percent of right. I'm on. Then I've got the the remaining capacity to to tr- commute backwards and forwards or um, or whatever. And will you be on the pitch in the same way that you are with Leinster? Is that how you see it? Yeah, yeah. I'll be head coach. Head coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that was and that, yeah. yeah, and that was the. Um, the absolute proviso for me. Like, right. there was no way I would have left Leinster to not coach. Okay. Um, so, no, it'd be exactly the same role. Um, the difference being, um, which obviously adds to the, the weight of the role, um, is the selection decisions. You know, ultimately, the contract decision will come down to me. You know, are you staying? Are you going? Are you getting a pay rise or a pay cut or whatever? So, that's obviously more demanding. Um, but, but I'm confident, you know, to, to have the capacity to cope with that with the people around me to do the logistical side of things, let's call it. Uh, and you know the people who I know, who I'm hoping to bring in. Well, one of them I was I've known for 25 years. He lived in France for 25 years. He'd probably be my translator as well as general manager until I've sort of learnt the language. Um, I think um, the coaching team, obviously, you know, do you do you bring in your own coaches? Do you bring in your own head of athletic performance? Your own physios? Your own doctor? Do you you know your own analysts? Um, but my approach really has been to sort of let's go with what we've got. Um, uh, and I will work hard within integrate myself into their system and try and bring my thoughts and processes to them um, but give myself the um, the opportunity to move or change over the course of one to two to three years do you know what I mean same I these are the interesting dilemmas I mean David Moyes would be a good man to talk to 
<laughs> when he went in at Manchester United. He brought in all his own people and got rid of some of the um, yeah. the mainstays. And yeah. well, everything he did is a mistake in hindsight. It's yeah. hard to know what actually was and wasn't a mistake. But for instance, that was pointed to as well, yeah. getting rid of Mike Phelan and these guys. Yeah. Maybe that's exactly. not a good idea. So yeah. these are all, all yeah, these Yeah, I mean, decisions. you've got Dimitri Sarzeski and Yannick Nyanga as an example, two you know, legends of... yeah. Of racing, you know, I'm not going to get rid of those two for a start. You know, I'm going to build a relationship and work with them. You wouldn't know. be popular either. I mean, you don't want to come in and well. There's no, there's no, there's no need. You know, my, my mindset is to go and work with what's there, and then ultimately they have to be open-minded. And you know, obviously, when I went across, I met them individually and just said, "You have to be." And they're all, you know, nodding their heads and saying, "Yep, yeah, we are. We're ready. You know, we're going to do something different." Um, so let's see. You know, let's see. But that'll be ultimately. What has been the nature of family time over the last six years then? Because I hear well, you're back and forth is what I hear. I don't. I'm kids scattered, and you mentioned your mum as well. So has yeah. it has it been very doable or? Um, it's probably got less doable. Oh, <laughs> bizarrely, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, so when I came to Leinster, my kids were um, fifteen and sixteen, um, and um, they were just going through school and doing A levels. So it was never the right time for them to move to Ireland. And Nina obviously was busy, you know, with them and everything out their sport and everything else that's going on. And obviously the commute, you know, the flights were great and everything was mm. is easy, you know, um, or easy enough. Um, I said to the lads when I um, announced I was going, you know, I was actually, it was on, I was about 12.30 that morning a.m. <laughs> on the tarmac at Leeds Bradford Airport with half of Leeds United's Irish fans um, <laughs> And I've, I must take 150, 160 flights a year. You know, I'd say minimum, you know, lead back and forth to Leeds Bradford. Um, and, but I've never once sat there on that rainy tarmac in Leeds thinking, I don't want to do this. You know, I mean, never once that. And Nina's never once, you know, never not wanting me to do it. But um, anyway, so you know, you get through school, then you, then you're on to university, um, and I'm I'm into sort of year three, year four of Leinster, mm. um, and then COVID comes. Um, and then I'm either I'm well I'm I'm in the UK for a period, but now I'm back and because Leinster have got going again, albeit there's no crowds and and I'm not going home and I've not gone home I didn't go home for for three four months you know couldn't get home. Nina came out once or twice, testing and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Kids are going through university, um, and the flights never really sort of synced back in you know and the Leeds Bradford flights have never been as good recently. Um, the kids have now left home. So poor Nina's on her own at, at home. I'm on my one-bedroom flat in Rathmines on my own. Um, and we're both sat there thinking, we need to be together now, you know. Yeah. Like, it's not fair on Nina, really. Um, so part of the rationale, really, again, was to was to do that because the kids have now flown the nest, so to speak. Um, and uh, it's been harder to to get home and back, you know, on, on, the, on the days off here and there. Um, uh, so... Yeah, but that's that's the nature of you're either in or you mm. you can't be half in. Mm. You're either in, you're not in. And um, you must have moments in the midst of all that. Oh, sorry, the other thing, yeah, the other thing. My on. dad passed in 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 twenty twenty eighteen, and um, my mum, like I say, you know, you yeah. people, you know, you, she's now on her own mm. on a farm in Cumbria, and you're desperately trying to help her and get back up there, and and then you're up to see your daughter in Newcastle, but you're actually you're FaceTiming everyone ultimately, mm. um, and you're missing big moments. Um, so, so yeah, tough, tough, it's but tough. yeah, yeah. You must, it's, you must think to yourself, God, is this worth it? Uh, no, I never think that, and, and they never think that. Right. They never think that. You know, we're very good at like connecting and spending time together and enjoying each other's company. And um, you know, I'd speak to them 
you know, all, all of them every day at some point. Okay. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But but the on the on the flip side of that, you've got this amazing family in in Ireland, you know, of Leinster players and coaches and staff. Um, the people have been amazing, you know. I, well, can, you, I can I can I can drift out in, to in a, to, a, to a bar and and you know I won't be short of people to chat to. Well, in a way, like of, of all of those um, participants there in the Lancaster family you talked about, I mean, your deal's okay. I mean, you're surrounded by people and, and great job, and it's very engaging. I'd say there's almost a guilt of you know, yeah. my wife's at home lonely or I haven't seen my mother in X number of weeks, yeah. and God, that yeah. that's the one that would yeah, and that, and that yeah, and that's and that's you know certainly with Nina, she's she's got her online business, she's just boot camps and everything else. She's got a great circle, yeah, um, um, and that's why it's worked so well. Mm. But obviously now the kids are a bit older, um, and yeah, I want to try and watch Dan play where, where when I can, of course, yeah, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so so I mean, one thing, Sophie's got narcolepsy. I put it on um, LinkedIn not so long ago, World Narcolepsy Day. So she's a sleep disorder. So you know, it's it's tough, you know, for her, you know, trying to get through university, get down into a full-time job and um, trying to explain the challenges of a sleep disorder like narcolepsy to people. Um, so she's trying to battle her way through that as well. You know what I mean? You're there. Yeah. You want to help her, you know. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's life. You know, I'm not like, you know, not poor me type thing because there's decisions we've made. And, um, and certainly the kids are 100% behind this decision. And, uh, but we'll all massively miss Ireland. Mm. I w- how do you navigate the passing of your father? Well, I mean, I don't think you ever do, really. I don't think you ever do. You know, it was it was sudden. Um, it was cardiac arrest on the farm. Um, it was, you know, it was two months after he was at the Aviva with me, a photo with me and two trophies. We just won the double. Um, so, um, you know, you're constantly thinking, oh, give me dad a ring, give me dad a ring. And, you know, you... He's not there, obviously. Um, so, but you also know in the back of your mind, you know, he'd want you to do what you're doing. You know, he'd say to me, you know, he was the one that probably, you know, um, um, I, I took the inspiration from his hard work, his work ethic, his, his getting up to milk the cows at six o'clock in the morning, his milking them on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And, um, and I did his eulogy and I said, you know, he's very, very good at the sort of guided discovery. You know, he didn't tell you what to do, but he sort of pointed you in the right direction. And so, you know, that's the sort of influence he's had on me. And, you know, obviously to this day, you'd still you know, be guided by him, really. There's an odd question people often ask after uh, that awful moment that unfortunately probably comes to most of us or all of us is like, did you give yourself time to grieve as if there's a window I can set aside and, and that's it? boxed away or, or, or what does that entail I don't know but I'll ask the question nonetheless did you give yourself time to grieve yeah, yeah no I mean you know Leinster were very good because it was the start of the season um, and uh, you know Leo just said just take what time you need you know mm. um, you know obviously I got a good glimpse of the Irish culture because you know Leo Johnny they came to the funeral you know they came all the way across from Dublin to Manchester airport hired a car uh, guys, you know they all, they came up, John Fogarty. They came they came up to, to to Penrith and stayed in a little Premier Inn and they're in this tiny little village in Colgate, rammed full of people. And then Johnny Sexton walks down. Did you know he was going to be there? Uh, he said he was going to come, and I said, "Listen, Johnny, you don't have to come." I mean, I think Laura just, you know, I think they were having another child at the time. And I said, "Johnny, you honestly, you don't have to come." And he was like, "No, I'll be there." So, so yeah, you know, obviously that means a lot. Mm. Um, uh, what 
you know the effort that people make um and uh um yeah so yeah yeah of course you grieve and but Leinster were a very good game at the time but equally I needed to get back to work I needed to I need to get on with it you know I needed to my dad would have said the same he'd like come on Stuart, you know you need to you need to go mm. so yeah so it's a tough time but um and it's more the loneliness now for the mum your mum really so, yeah it's always horrible terrain um does it feel very good to you that he saw things go so well at Leinster and oh, saw yeah. that's important very very because because like I remember forget after the World Cup in 2015 um uh my mum said to me and everyone's writing nasty stuff about you in the press or you know this that and the other uh and she said I just want to protect you I said I know you know um you know my son and you're old enough to look after yourself he said but a mother's instinct is to want you to to protect you you know what I mean and I can't do that and my dad said the same he said we can't but when I actually realized the pain I was causing them that was probably the tipping point when you know it wasn't cut and dry that I was definitely going to leave at the time you know there was a review and I did a debate with the CEO and me and Richie um and uh I was like this is causing too much pain here like for everyone um on the back of you know a couple of games you know and you're thinking geez there's a mortal life from this yeah and actually so it was the best thing you know to and they were really uh, happy I'd come to Ireland obviously I was out of England um you know I could they could come over um and you know the, there's a very similar feeling in the north of England in Cumbria in particular you know the farming community that my dad felt when he came here so he was very very Happy, mm. comfortable. Do you know what I mean? And could see you were happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the main thing, yeah. and obviously to have won as well. You know that competitive side in parents. You know they've been like, yeah, well done you. Well, there's a degree of like, my bloody son is a bloody good coach. Yeah, exactly. Completely exactly. rehabilitated. Exactly. It's, a, it's the same that. with your kids and your wife and, and everyone who cares about you. You know, um, but you know I'll forever be grateful to Lens. I've said this before. Mm. You know for the opportunity to do that, because at the time, I was actually spoken to a coach today who's. Um, uh, in one of the clubs in England who've just been put into administration and he said um, what might you advise me I said you need to get a job again so, you know you need to find a purpose again because I had this period of like November 2015 to September 2016 when I came to Leinster of bits and pieces but like no real purpose to a day you know what I mean it was driving me absolutely mad I'm and sure. also because then you can never stop looking in the rearview mirror at, at what's happened you know you can't look forward to anything you're always looking back and and then when you're at Leinster, you're like, right, we've got a game, we've got a game, we've mm. got a game. And then and then we, we lost in two semis and we won the double. And and then every week, that's why when people say to me, oh, well, you know, would you fancy international coaching again? I'm like, well, I should really enjoy club coaching. I know you talk about the volume or the intensity of fixes in France, but I'm like, how good is that? You know, yeah. with international coaching, you go through, I was being to Felipe, who's now obviously with Argentina, and uh, he's got the games in November and he's loved it. He's done the rugby championship. And then I said to him, so what are you going to do between November and July? Because that's the next game. And he's a bit like, yeah, it's a good question. Mm. It's a good question. How do you keep developing as a coach? And like I said to um, the lads, the Leinster lads, when I told them I was going, I started writing down, when I first arrived, a lesson I'd learned, something I'd learned you know, like from like Johnny Matt said something or Leo said something. I thought, God, that's a really interesting point. I never thought of it that way before. And uh, so I started that uh, with lesson one, whatever it was in you know 2016. And I'm on 158 now. Wow. I looked at my notes, you know, wow. that's lessons from Leinster, lessons from coaching, lessons from being in a high-performing environment, daily, winning, losing. Um, and, you know, those lessons will be the ones I'll take with me and hopefully, you know, 
that's the experience piece that builds, doesn't it? You know, because you're doing it yeah, week yeah, in yeah. week out. Is there any example of one of those lessons that I would understand that's not just like stand, <laughs> stand three metres to the left off scrum? Um, yeah, maybe maybe like like Leo, um, like we did a, we all, we all always have a, like a leadership meeting pre, pre-game um, and the players who are involved, the key decision makers, the line-up caller, the captain, you know, we'd have, we'd have that meeting pre-game, uh, pre-game and they would drive the game. And Leo, quite rightly, said at the start of the season, why don't we, before we get going on the Monday, why don't we meet those leaders again and review the performance just as a, as a little group before we do the team review? So we only have like 10 or 15 minutes there before you actually do the, the overall review, but we can just gauge, you know, the mood and what they felt on the time and why decisions were made. And I've never really come across that in a in a sporting environment, and that was just a bit of Leo, you know. And so then, write down that's lesson number one hundred forty seven. <laughs> Have a leadership meeting on the morning of uh, a Monday morning. Uh, a quote from October twenty fifteen. So this is just after the World Cup, and I'm, I look. People know at this stage the World Cup did not go well for for England, and there's all the fallout. And what you said in October twenty fifteen is, I don't think I'll ever come to terms with it personally because it was such a big thing. Have you come to terms with it? Um, obviously, it helps. It helps, you know, playing in a team that wins, and you know you've won trophies. But Roy Hodgson, who was the England coach at the time, he was uh, the England soccer coach at the time. Um, I'd met him a few times, um, and met him subsequently actually. Mm. And he said the thing is about sports. He says if you if you do lose your job or you get sacked, and he'd been through a few himself, he said it's like a scar. It 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 never truly heals, but it does fade with time. And that's probably the best way I can describe it, you know. Yeah. It'll never disappear, it'll all be part of you. Um, the disappointing thing is is that it sort of clouds, you know, the, the, the sort of two games, if you like, cloud so much progress that was made in four years. Um, and I think when I do go back to England, people remember that, you know, they do talk about that a lot and they're all like, you know, they're not like, oh my God, you know, he's the guy. Um, but they're like, oh, thanks, you know, you did a great job and, you know, you've given Eddie Jones a decent team, you know. Mm. Um, so... But yeah, no, it, it would never, it'd never disappear. But um, coaching a new team, um, winning and losing, you know, but being involved in a new team definitely helps heal yes. Scar. Less haunted by it, I suspect. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, t- it's tough, it's tough, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, it would be tough for, it's tough for any coach. Mm. It's not just me. That was uh, Stuart Lancaster in conversation with Joe Malloy. The full podcast is available on the OTB Rugby feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, the best place to get them these days is on the Go Loud app or on the OTB Sports app. Now, after the break, you're going to hear from Joey Malone, a football man, if ever there was one. Uh, this is one of the most wide-ranging conversations we had all week. He talks about facing Mark in Boston, playing alongside Paul McGrath in his debut as a centre-back, and then coaching Shelburne ahead of the final day of the Women's National League season. Make sure you stay tuned for this. The Women's National League season is set for a thrilling finish this weekend. Uh, Athlone, Shelburne and Wexford are all in contention to be crowned champions on the final day and then the cup final next week will be Shelburne versus Athlone. Uh, On Thursday's OTBAM, myself and Shane were joined by Shell's assistant manager, Joey Malone, to look ahead to their winner-takes-all clash with Wexford and also a bit of his own playing career. This is class. Stay tuned. You might tell us a little bit about a good friend of yours, Paul McGrath, and and, from your own career. Was it Charlie Walker? Yeah, Charlie. Charlie, um, I I was captain of of Pats. We we played in the cup final in 1980 and then uh, we were beaten by Waterford. And then the following pre-season, Charlie made me captain and... He brought this young black lad in into the dressing room and uh, very short and very quiet. And he said, "He just got." He said, "He came over to me and said, 'Look, I want you to look after him.'" And 
so like I immediately went over and sat talking to him and, and brought him in and he said, as I said he was very quiet and shy and and there. And he played like we Charlie was played him centre forward at first and, and then played him in centre midfield and he was just doing okay in, in those two positions and um there was one game we were playing, I think it was we were home to Limerick and, and you know you know at the top of Pathway you'd go down the steps to the dressing room the old way into the old dressing rooms and Charlie called me and he said, "Look, we said um, the lad McGrath he hasn't been doing great and all that." And I, I said, "Charlie, you're playing him in the wrong position. Play him centre half with me. He needs someone talking to him in his ear and that type of stuff." And Charlie said to me, "Well, if he doesn't do it today, he's on his bike." <laughs> that was the club, the club, the board of directors are not happy. And but he, he came and played centre half that day with me, and and um, he was immense. He was fantastic and uh, straight away. He, oh, that first game, just many a centre forward. He, he didn't do great. That midfield, he didn't do great. But then when he played centre half, like he was a big son, his headers used to go 30, 40 yards up the pitch and his reading of the game was, was fantastic. And then he had me shouting in his ear behind him at the time. So anything he didn't get, I cleaned up at the back and made the, made the sweeper's job nice and handy, <laughs> having Paul McGrath in front of you. And he, he just went from from that game on, he, he just went, he was immense. He was getting player of the months and uh, his tackling, his, his famous tackling was someone getting ahead of him and then just getting around him, the win, winning the ball and player would go up in the air and over and off he'd come around. He, he he became like he became an unbelievable player within within a couple of weeks, and like that a, quick, yeah. When it got from that stage where Charlie was saying, "Well, if he's not doing it today, he's on his bike," to um, how long can we being, keep him? Being like, all of a sudden, he's getting player of the month, and English clubs are interested in him and all that time. And I, I said it to Charlie a few weeks later. I said, "We won't have him for long." I said, "Like, there's, there's definitely only the English clubs taking him." And he was a Chelsea supporter, but he. Um, Man United were, were interested in him and, and I think uh, there was one or two other clubs uh, interested in him as well and, and obviously you know we know he, he went to Manchester United but he How was, long was he at Pat? I don't know. He, he was literally a, a season um, a season and a bit I think yeah a season and a bit and then all of a sudden it's it's Manchester United and um, but then like I was on the phone to him all the time and he was at, over in Manchester and he told me like they, they're not paying me much more than I'm getting uh, between his job here in, in Dublin and his job with it uh, and the few bobbies getting all pats man you know we weren't offering him much much more which seemed a little bit crazy to me and, and I was because Charlie had gone over and the chairman had gone over and I said well, make sure he's look after him and get him a good deal and um, but um, Ron Axon came into the room and, and um, after they had a chat and they talked about the money and all that type of stuff and he said um, he said oh well if you, you want to go back to Pats and he went that was the only word he said to him and he, and he went no 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 so <laughs> he obviously agreed to sign then but look he he, he was always going to be <clears throat> excuse me he was always going to be a top player um, and his, his rise his rise to start and what didn't take too long and I mean, obviously the Manchester United crowd talked to him a big time and um, and then obviously like the few years of Manchester United he, he had a bit of success and I went to the, to the first cup final he had sent me tickets over and he sent me but I went over and, and, and unfortunately other things happened as we all know like uh, along the way the, the, the kind of drinking thing and himself and Norman Whiteside and Alex Ferguson didn't like it and um, I don't think he was, I think he knew he wasn't going to be too long there at Manchester once Alex Ferguson took over and um he, he, he phoned me one day one night and said that Alex Ferry wants him to uh, because of all his knee injuries and all that to, to actually go like maybe pack in the game and, and take out the insurance and that type of stuff and I said don't you dare do that you know like you have still a lot of years to go especially with the international team as well and, and um, 
with that um, Graham Taylor coming from Aston Villa came in from and I, like what, what an unbelievable five seasons after like first three or four seasons with Aston Villa like uh, like when I was in his house like he, he like the amount of player man of the match trophies that he has around the place from playing for <laughs> Aston Villa and he obviously got player of the year as well in England so he, and then went on to play such a starting role in the ni- 1990 and 1994 World Cups in the, for, for Ireland and you know, as I said, on one hand you had Alec Trajan asking him to retire, and then in the second, it's like all of a sudden he's he's winning Player of the Year in England. He's player the best player for Ireland in the World Cup, and um, he, he's he's had an unbelievable career despite all the, all the problems he's had along the way. Um, he's had an unbelievable career, and he's you know when when you talk about some of the best players that's ever played for Ireland, he'll certainly be in in that top ten. I'd say. I'd say he's at the top. <laughs> I'd say he's right there at Roy Keane because of what he did yeah. in the World Cups, you know, like and because because of the the problems, the, the knee injuries and all that. Like, um, I yeah, he's had, he's had a lot. I mean, he, you know, to, to amount of problems that he's had with his knee and, and you, yeah, at Aston Villa, he, he spent more time in the gym than he did on the pitch because it was always and they looked after him really well and like he, he was kind of wrapped in cotton wool type of stuff. That's the way they, they treated him at Aston Villa and. Um, there was uh, there was a lot of games where where he didn't he didn't feel right with his knee and you know the physio done a bit of walking him and he'd say I don't know what I can play today and the, the physio would talk him and no you're okay and he'd get man of the match yeah. you know that type of stuff so he he's um, he the, I think the problems with the knees and 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 obviously is is uh, is early up coming up as a kid in the foster homes and all that you know there was a, there was a lot for to do what he done coming through. All that kind of foster home situation, that type of stuff, um, was, was immense, and it, what, what a great story! And I, I think most people that would have read his book would know that, like, it wasn't always like sunshine and glory. It, there was mm. a lot of hard times along the way, and and for him to to overcome all that and be the player he was, it was fantastic. In terms of the the best players you played against, like I was looking at um, your time with Dundalk, yeah, eighty seven Ajax. Yeah, with the Cup Winners' Cup champions, like I, was, I was looking at the Ajax team there last night. <laughs> I mean, Van Basten, yeah, uh, Frank Rijkaard, a seventeen-year-old Brian Roy, yeah, like forty odd thousand people there as well. Like, what what was that experience? Oh, like? it was unbelievable. I mean, it was it was it was it was the one time in, in like that you get as a League of Ireland player to be a full-time player for a week because you're going away early in the week and you're, you're staying in nice hotels and you're training and in the daytime rather than two nights a week and the Saturday morning and playing Sunday. It was like. Uh, it was us being professional week, and then when when we went when we when we drew Ajax, we said, "Yo, and Cruyff to manager, and, and all the players you're talking about, Frank Rijkaard. I think Dennis Bergkamp was only a sub, mm. uh, and uh, but we we trained the night before on the pitch, and it was like someone was at the knitting all the grass together. It was it was so tight and so lovely. It was like a carpet, and we because we were we were playing. Sometimes you could play in our season, and you go down to Warford, Kilcona Park, and there'd be muck, <laughs> and you you put your foot in your your football boot would nearly come off. And so to come to this fantastic manicured pitch was unreal. And then um, we we played obviously the next night, and it was the first time I've seen you know, these big flags that come down on the top of the heads of people and behind one of the goals. It nearly takes up the whole stand. And yeah. It was like it was amazing to see this coming through. And then. All, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're, we're playing against these unbelievable international I mean, they had the eight full-time international full Holland internationals in their starting 11 and it was like Roy Card was unreal and, and uh, Alan Muren was playing who had been at Man United <laughs> right. and, um, Roy Card one side and Muren in the centre and then you had Naiskins and Van Skip and like oh un- unreal and uh, 
the the captain of Holland was 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 the captain of Ajax as well, and it was like, but it was like they had the ball all the time. We we were just defending. I think I had about three hundred balls out, like diving <laughs> headers and this because uh, they'd come to the edge of our box and, and they wouldn't shoot. They'd go out wide and get in and try get because we were tight with with nearly all eleven Templars and Alan O'Neill right in, nearly in the edge of our box and. But we, to be fair to us, we we done really well. I think it was like twenty nil all with twenty three minutes to go and a half time nil all going in. That the, the fans were booing them, and, right? Yeah, because they were the, the previous uh, European Cup winners' cup. They won it that and they brought it, that trophy out on the pitch before the game and all that. So here we are playing against one of the top teams in Europe and we're nil all at half time and it's now it's tough. What it says, it was great. And then obviously the the, the first goal was a an OG hit off the back of. Roy Carter to Sean hit off Larry Wise's ankle and spun up and you couldn't have placed it in the top corner as to where it went to the end and that was the first goal that broke it and um, I think Frank Stabling got either the second or the third Frank Stabling only had time for them that season they got a second or third and uh, we ended up losing 4-0 but it was only in the in the last like as I said 20 I think it was 63rd or 64 66th minute when they got what they got the goal the first goal so but it was it was great it was great to play in a, in a stadium like that against a team like that and and obviously they, they best 2-0 another OG Paul knew with a 20 yard back pass over <laughs> Alan O'Neill's head in the, in the game in Oriel Park we lost it 2-0 but like a great experience I mean Europe I mean you can see Sean McCraw was present at the moment I mean what it's, what it's done for them and how it's brought the club on and um, I think I was just reading in, in, in the past coming into the car Shelburne back in in, in the, the was it the 2000 and the, the the run they had and the money that I brought into the club and yeah the Deportivo kind of yeah Deportivo yeah and it was like they were so close and like European money now is, is big and it helps to develop the League of Ireland clubs big time and, and I think that's where 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 Shelburne now need to be, they need to be. I mean, that's the next move for Damien now to bring players in that will get them into that U- European stages, and then uh, obviously we ourselves with the women. That's what we want as well. We want to be. I mean, if we'd have qualified for the European stages this year, I think we would have brought half a million mm. just for quali- qualifying for the stages. So yeah. that half a million coming into the women's game would, would be unbelievable, and, and would help us get the goal. We, we've, as I said, we've we've a plan to bring us twenty four to twenty five, and I think bring qualifying for Europe and bringing that type of money into the women's section of the game be transformative really yeah big yeah. time I mean and you're, you're talking about I mean we Noel has got good contacts from his time as manager of uh, the women's senior team and the men's under 21s and he's, he's obviously done the senior men's team for a couple of games so he's got some contacts around around Europe where all of a sudden instead of us losing players that's draining in. the league of Ireland of good quality players we could not long if we lose them we can bring some in and we can have talks with, with the likes of Man United or Man City or Liverpool or Arsenal even to players that are on the fringe that could be coming towards we can't even bring players in on loan from clubs like that because we're not a professional league Right. so the first thing that the FAI and Mark uh, Scanlon and, and Jonathan Hill needs to do and we, as I said to you earlier in, in, in the chat that they need to deem the, the league professional so that we the, the, the kind of kind of plan that we have for Shelbourne can be achieved and, 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 and even further yeah, really interesting stuff there. Um, I don't know if you if you want to listen to that full thing. You should definitely get it on podcast because um, you know if there was a definition of a football man, Joey Malone is it. The best place to get your women's national league fix every week, of course, is on OTV's Koi Gig Pod. This week, former Ireland internationals Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne dissected Ireland's draw for next summer's World Cup. To be honest, I was really happy with the draw until we got Nigeria. 
So when I looked at all the, the, the groups, I thought, oh, I'd love group A, but group A or group B and I'll be happy because New Zealand and Australia, as far as I'm concerned, are very beatable for yes. us. So straight away, I was happy. And then when that when Nigeria came out, I was like, oh, that would be like the worst team for us to play, I think, out of that group. Um, but apart from that, I mean, you look at the other groups, I think Group B is quite a nice group. I'm happy. There's like a bit of misery on Twitter, like about the group and saying, oh, we're doomed. It's a great group for us. It's not See, bad. I, I haven't seen all that much from Irish people. I've seen people from like outside of Ireland saying that, and like a lot of the international media putting us as the likely people to come last in it. And I was like, mm, I feel like I the think other that's because they're looking at, say, uh, Olympic champions, this, that, and the other. But in terms of the style of play, I'm mm. much happier with coming up against the likes of Australia, Canada, who are that kind of physical team who we've faced in the likes of Sweden and Finland in recent times. So we're used to that kind of team. If we'd gotten more technical teams like your Spains and Japan, that's that's a whole new task that we haven't really faced and we haven't had to be challenged by with this team yet. So, um, yeah, like Emma said, I, I don't mind playing those two teams. Nigeria is a bit of an unknown. They're very physically strong. It'll be interesting to see what that's like. I don't have too much context on it, but I know, Emma, you were saying that you definitely didn't yeah. want that. Yes. Emma, I was going to ask you about this because I saw you tweeting about it and also like a lot of the Nigerian team do play in Spain so I presume you've probably watched quite a few of the players yeah and not only that from my experience we went to Nigeria to play uh, a friendly game with Arsenal that Canu set up and then <laughs> didn't show up so it was just kind of like us there but anyway we played the Super Falcons with the Arsenal team who had like really amazing players and they destroyed us like five nil or something. It was the weather as well and the conditions or whatever. But it's just a team that are really difficult to play against. Again, it's a team that underperformed. Like this could be their year. They're extremely physical. They're extremely quick. They're very direct. And they have amazing players. I mean, just Asi Satishwala on her own is just so dangerous and she frightens the BJs is out of every team so yeah that was the one team I didn't want to get um to be quite honest after we were drawn but you know it depends they're quite they're up and down as well so it depends on how they're feeling on the day yeah just as a rundown if anyone listening missed it today so Ireland play Australia on July 20th at 10 o'clock in the morning Irish time then Canada on July 26th at one o'clock Irish time and then Nigeria on July 23rd first at 11 a.m so in terms of watching times pretty good I was fully expecting to be up in the middle of the night I'm very glad that we don't have to do that but it is quite a big distance so that's I think like they're in Perth Brisbane and Sydney is it the three yeah. cities I'm mm-hmm. not sure if the order I don't think that's the right order but that's about 8,000 kilometers over those couple yeah, of weeks Sydney, Perth Brisbane I think it was but yeah it's, it's not obviously not ideal you would like to be based in one place um yeah, do you think that will have much of an impact or is it just something that we know what we're dealing with now so we can kind of temper our expectations of like how much it will affect us when it actually comes to it? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be a massive thing, especially if they prepare properly and they're prepared for the flights and, you know, they get the proper amount of rest. I mean, it is going to be an extremely difficult couple of weeks for them. Like that's, there's no denying that, but we're not going to blame the travel or anything like that. That's, we're not looking for excuses. And just to touch on what you said earlier, Kathleen, about 
the professionals in in the media say in Ireland, you know, they they're they don't have any hope in this group. If you look at the stats, which I think a lot of people do, which I never do because I hate stats. Um, yes, of course, we are the the ones that should be coming bottom of that group. We've never qualified before. So uh, get that out of the way. Get that out of the window, because Canada We've played Canada a few times, Karen. Not an easy or a nice group to play, to be quite honest. But they are beatable. Right, that's a, a bit of this week's episode of Koi Gig. The full thing is available, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. But with thanks to our partners at Cadbury, we're supporting Irish women's grassroots football. And the Koi Gig pot are giving away all the net profits from our most recent Cadbury Roadshow in Vicker Street. Over the next few weeks, we'll be giving you an opportunity to win a €1,000 worth of equipment for your local grassroots adult club. For your club to be in with a chance to win... Contact the pod with your club details and contact information by emailing the Koi Gig Pod at offtheball.com. Terms and conditions apply. You can head over to otdsports.com for more. Right, welcome back. Ireland's T20 World Cup clash with Afghanistan was rained off this morning, unfortunately, but the rain did help Andy Balburnie's side inflict a shock defeat on England at the MCG earlier on this week. Ireland won by five runs on the Duckworth Lewis Stern method. We caught up with Josh Little, who was one of the stars of Ireland's win. He talked about what's next for this team and what it's like to face the might of Moeen Ali in full flow. Absolutely delighted with the win. And, you know, you're sort of not expecting that. But at the same time, me personally, anyway, I sort of have the mentality of, well, I'm not, I'm not surprised because we're, we're a good side and, and, you know, we can beat anyone on our day. So it's sort of exciting to see what the future holds in terms of the next couple of games um, in the coming week so yeah I'm just absolutely buzzing to get stuck into those games because anything really is possible from here When did that confidence hit you about that this team being good enough to compete at this level and to pull off that victory because you know the, the, the form has been in and out over the last 18 months there's been some really really great performances and there's been some letdowns you'd have to say and yeah. so to get to this stage in this competition in this format what was giving you that confidence? I think just just having played a decent amount of that format of cricket, I just sort of understand that things don't always go your way, and that there are good days and bad days. It's just about keep working hard, and and you'll have more good days than bad days. And, and thankfully, we're starting to see the or reap the rewards for all our hard work, and it's it's just great to see. And as I said, you you don't know what the future holds for us because things are going great at the moment. What did it mean, Josh, for you to, to do it in the MCG as well? I mean, such a such a historic venue. I was listening to to your captain speaking the other day after the match, and he was talking about the fact that you all did a, a museum tour as well. And, and I know it's the the setting of Ronnie Ronnie Delaney's gold medal for Ireland back in the Melbourne Olympics years and years ago. Yeah. So it must have made it all the more special. Yeah, we we were actually watching the India Pakistan game a couple of days ago, where there was hundred thousand people and never seen the place so full. And obviously that was our first time there, so we were all absolutely buzzing to get out to such a famous ground and, and put on a show against what was obviously an incredibly strong English side. So we were all absolutely buzzing to get out there and uh, so thankful it went, went our way and it was a great day. You're, uh, you're, like, you're, you're only, what, 22 at the minute, Josh, is it? 22, 23 next week. And yet you're, you're a veteran of the team. Like You made your debut at, at, at 16 uh, back in 2016, so you're one of the older guys on the team now. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the yeah. way. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess... I'm a young guy, but also an old guy, and mm. I, I'm sort of, I've, I've sort of taken the role of trying to take the guys who, who may not necessarily be the same age as me, but might be a little bit newer into the team, sort of take them under my wing a little bit, and sort of try to give some of the knowledge that I've got over the years, um, playing in pressure situations, and trying to help the guys grow um, the way I have, play, I guess, playing against these quality opposition. 
What what's going through your head with those two quick wickets yesterday? I mean, is it are you allowed to enjoy the moment? Are you able to enjoy the moment? Or are you just thinking, right? Let's get the next one going here. Yeah, I, I'm always trying. I'm trying to enjoy every second I'm out there. That's, that's the reason I play. Um, I try to bring a relaxed environment to the team. I'm quite a relaxed, relaxed guy and chill guy. And you know, some of the guys are a little bit more nervous or, or you know whatever you want to call it. So I try and just calm everyone down, slow it down, and just. Yeah, sort of just be in the moment a little bit and 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 t- see what's in front of you. When you when you play at that level as a sixteen year old, you're obviously already thinking, <clears throat> "I want this to be to be <clears throat> my professional career." Pardon me. And so that's obviously something that that's in your head at that point. When do you realize that you're going to be able to make this your living and that it's not just going to be something that you were really good at at school and really good at underage, but that actually you are going to be able to represent your country and make a living doing this? Yeah. Interesting question, and the guys actually always ask me this one. And I don't really have the answer, but I guess making my ODI debut against England and getting getting four wickets there at Malahide at our home ground against England as well. Funnily enough, um, sorry about that. Um, I just I don't want to say it hit me that you know I, I could potentially make a living, but that that's when it sort of dawned on me that this is an exciting sport, and um, you know anything could happen if you put in the hard work. And, and luckily, things are going my way at the moment I'm not saying they always will but fingers crossed um, we keep going the way we are that yeah things will be good I think traditionally players who showed promise like you within the Irish system would have been looking towards signing for an English county team and then who knows what the international future would have held so things have obviously changed in that pathway that you feel comfortable that you don't have to do that yeah exactly I mean I don't want to go off topic from from the Irish stuff but there's franchise opportunities from around the world so it's not a, It's not necessarily the be-all, end-all getting over to England. What we're doing at the moment is equally as special. And, and if other things come come from that, whether it be going to other competitions around the world, well, that's just an added bonus and, and one one we're all hoping to, to achieve. I was interested, Josh, to, to look at comments from Andrew Belburney as well, talking after the game, where he, he said he was looking at the, the matchups before the match and he said he, he was struggling to understand how Ireland could compete with England uh, on their day if, they, if every player performed. Like, and, and they're probably one of, if not the best, teams in the world at this format as well. Yeah. So uh, how did you manage to, to, to do it? I mean, was it, was it a case of just being confident that, that, that in those matchups you could, on your, on your day, uh, be up there with them? Yeah, as I alluded to, just just being relaxed and believing that we are as good as them because I've no doubt in my mind that we are as good as them. And, you know, the English boys, I don't want to say, come with a little bit of arrogance. Um, so we felt, I, I felt personally we catch them on the hop a little bit. Um, and we did at the beginning of our batting innings and we did at the beginning of our bowling innings. So, yeah. It makes it all the sweeter than beating, beating the English lads, I'd imagine, if there's 100%. that little bit of arrogance. Hundred percent, yeah. We we were just saying, did we? Were they were they being a little bit? You know, were they taking us for granted a little bit? But not that that matters. We we still went out and gave our all, and um, yeah, delighted. Um, I, Josh, you're, you're like the right age exactly to remember the kind of first breakthrough of an Irish cricket team onto the national sporting consciousness. Um, and there's been a couple of instances in the past, generally off the back of like uh, maybe Kevin O'Brien springs to mind in the. Um, in the 50s and uh, yeah. obviously before that we, we were uh, the Sri Lanka that whole story that was all amazing so do you yeah. feel now having come the th- through the system and, and watched those as a kid that were kind of ready as a country and as a sport to capitalise on this? Yeah 100% I think the guys are all beaming with confidence and 
I, I always look back with my friend Harry, who's on the team as well. You know, I remember sitting sitting in my house at 4 a.m. watching cricket games with the lads out in, in Australia and wherever, winning games in the World Cup and just wishing, I hope to be there one day. And, and now that we are, we're really soaking it in and trying to enjoy every minute. Um, also with the confidence that we are as good as anyone else in the world. And, and that's a great feeling. Um, your siblings are also pretty good at cricket. So it's obviously the main sport in the house. Yeah, it's 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 a weird one. My my neither of my parents or grandparents or anything really played cricket when we were growing up. We were more of a hockey family, um, and yeah, I was playing hockey one day, and one of my one of my friends in school, his dad just came up to me and just sort of said, "Do you want to come down and give cricket a go?" And you know, you've got hand-eye coordination, and I just sort of fell in love with, fell in love with it from there. And my sister sisters followed suit. And did you fall in love with batting or bowling first? <laughs> um. I, I'm going to say bowling. I, I, I've always had an interest in batting, um, but just with the schedule and stuff, I, I, I unfortunately can't work on my batting the way I, I'm able to work on my bowling. But I'll, I'll say I like both equally as much. Uh, it turns out, though, that um, you're obviously very good at the bowling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I work on the most and that, that's what I, I, I have a passion about bowling and you know, I want to be the best in the world one day um, and that drives me every day to, to get better and better and I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like that, that it's great to hear that because uh, that's going to be inspiring to the next generation of young cricketers. Not that you're not a young cricketer, like, you, you know, you could still be doing this in 12, 14 years time mm -hmm. at international level, it turns out, especially the way uh, sports science works and it sounds like you're looking after yourself as well. So, like, that level of ambition and the fact that you play for Ireland as opposed to playing for England saying that is is really inspirational for the next generation yeah 100% like as I've alluded to a couple of times like we, we, we're as good as anyone else and it's just about getting that belief getting that experience into the, the younger guys um, so they can also believe that we are at this level because I remember a time where where I didn't believe we, you know we were anywhere anywhere near the standard and playing a big team is a massive occasion and whatever, you know, I will lose, but I hope we have a good game. But now it's sort of like we're at this level, we can we can compete with these boys. And it's not so much about being nervous about it anymore. It's about going out and showcasing your skills and, and really giving them a good run for their money. Uh, did you get chatting to Owen Morgan at all after the match, Josh? I know we were watching him on TV yesterday. He had a bit of a, a smirk on his face. We were trying to gauge how he, how he felt after the match. Did you get talking to him at all? No, I, I didn't. I didn't. The the, the the scenes of all the Irish fans as well over there, like, and, and a lot of them would have kind of extended the holiday, I guess, from from Durban to get to, to Melbourne as well, and spent a lot of money in the process. So it must mean so much to see a family as well, but but also just fans over there. Yeah, it's amazing. My parents are actually out here, and you know they sort of they sort of booked the trip hoping that we would get through, but you know always sort of said to me, "Oh, when you guys go home, we'll we'll just carry on and." do a little holiday so to actually make that a reality that no they're not on a holiday they're actually coming to watch us still play in these big games is um, is a special memory and, and one I'll never forget that's class uh, that's the type of thing parents would say to take the pressure off you when secretly they know uh, we're going to that England game we've got that circle don't worry it's in the MCG <laughs> yeah exactly that's class. That's um, that is a, a really nice story. Um, I, I mean, this is like obviously a, a more philosophical question, but like, is this is this the format that suits Ireland the best? Is this what we should focus on into the future, or can we use this to help make sure that we're really good at the fifty and eventually the test side becomes even better? Like, do we have the resources to compete on all fronts, or what's your instinct about that at the moment? I think I, I think just the nature with our schedule, we we don't have that much test cricket on the schedule, so. 
it's it's naturally going to be very hard to compete with the teams who who play ten times the amount of Test cricket that we do. But both fifty over and T Twenty cricket, we we're we're right up there, um, and we have been for a while with the fifty over stuff. We've had a good couple of years there, and doing well in the T Twenties is actually relatively new for us. We we were quite a weak side a couple of years ago, so um, in my opinion, uh, the white ball stuff should be our should be our focus. Um, and obviously trying to, over the next sort of 10 years, build into Test cricket. Well, that all makes sense. Well, you've got a newfound audience of uh, of young kids who are out in the back garden, bowling and batting, and um, hopefully it leads to all loads more success. It, it Like, you know, everybody here is like celebrating because we beat England, but you guys, obviously, you, first thing you talked about was like really looking forward to the rest of the competition because there are some more big scalps to take. You got the the host nation at another famous ground to look forward to. That's going to be quite the occasion. Yeah, exactly. Like we never really expected after the first the first stage of the competition to, to end up here. Um, so it's just sort of a just got to roll with it and enjoy the moment and hopefully take another couple of scalps with us because I'm sure all those teams will have seen that game and sort of. Uh, a little bit scared maybe we'll see um, uh, so anything could happen and I'm really looking forward to, to playing those big teams just want to tell you about what's coming up this week on uh, Off the Ball on Saturday and Sunday Shane Hannan's going to be joined by a few all-stars from the Hurling and Football panel tomorrow he's also been speaking to former Newcastle Spurs and England midfielder Jermaine Genus. so you'll hear all that Damien Delaney Johnny Ward and Dan McDonnell will be alongside Shane on OTB Football Saturday between 3 and 5 and on Sunday two live Premier League matches Brian Kerr and Dave McIntyre We'll be joining the leaders Arsenal, watching them take on uh, Nottingham Forest. Kenny Cunningham and Richie McCormick are on duty for the clash between Manchester United and West Ham. Splunk is up next. Stay tuned. Sloan.